It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Martha Gill, Ned Simons and Paul Waugh. This week, we'll be talking about the Lib Dem Conference, Jeremy Corbyn's Olive Branch, free movement and mental health funding. But let's kick off with the Lib Dems, who earlier this week descended en masse to Brighton for their annual conference. Leader Tim Farron's keynote speech proved the highlight in which he tried to portray himself as the heir to Blair. He also chastised the government for the help, or lack of it, it is providing refugees coming to Europe. Here's a clip. When I was on the island of Lesbos last year, after we'd helped to land a flimsy boat of desperate refugees, I was handing out bottles of fresh water alongside other volunteers. And a few yards away was an aid worker from New Zealand who knew that I was a British politician. And she looked at me and she shouted, stop handing, stop handing out bottles of water and take some effing refugees because that is how Britain is seen mean and not pulling its weight and maybe that doesn't bother some people but it bothers me because i am proud of who we are i am proud of who we are so ned you uh were keeping abreast of all things lib dem uh is this a is this a government in waiting because everyone pitched themselves in the center ground they're trying to hoover up all those disaffected blairites i think that's interesting isn't it if you listen to tim farron's speech about wanting to be the center ground uh, party it's the same message they've been doing for the last five years, six years under coalition, what, which, what Nick Clegg said, which was, you know, the Tories are really right-wing, Labour are too left-wing, we're the sensible ones in the middle. Farron's new pitch is kind of the same. You could say it might work better this time. I mean, you could argue that Theresa May is more right-wing than David Cameron and Jeremy Corbyn is more left-wing than Ed Miliband. Than so, anyone. Than, than, <laughs> so perhaps there is a, a bigger space for them to fill. But I don't know how, you know, whether it will necessarily work. I thought it was interesting in his speech where he kind of praised Tony Blair for a lot of his early policies um, before the war, essentially. He, he, conf- and he compared him to the Stone Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he, liked, he, liked yeah. His, he liked his early stuff. I'd um, love to know yeah. how many people in that audience knew the Stone <laughs> Roses. I mean, they all looked how many kind of in the audience? Well, when you said en masque and lived down to send anywhere en masque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all three of them went. <laughs> but I think it was interesting in that speech, he was talking about how, you know, as Blair said, you know, to win power, to do anything. That's an interesting message for the Lib Dems to give out with their eight MPs. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like and and it's worth remembering why they've got eight MPs. It's because of the massive backlash in 2015 mm-hmm. against them being in coalition with the Conservatives. And unfortunately for, for Farron, that was the sort of dog that didn't bark in that speech. You know, he talked again and again about how important it was to be in power. And he actually did a good job in praising the Lib Dems sort of main policy achievement, you might say, from from his point of view, which was the pupil premium. That he said, look, that had a real Lib Dem stamp on it as a sort of social justice measure, giving poor kids in schools some extra cash, you know, that's what we did in government. Unfortunately for them, they're not really getting much recognition for that. And a lot there's still a lot of buyer's remorse for people who voted Lib Dem in twenty ten, thinking that, you know, they all got into bed with the Tories. And the problem with with the whole conference is, you know, it's gonna take a lot 
long time to overcome I mean, that. they are quite cheered by there's been these few by-elections, haven't they? Like, cause yeah, they've, so they've, they've done quite well, yeah. and that's, that's made them quite happy. It's funny but you should say that. <laughs> that leads us uh, on nicely. Oh, that's oh, your catchphrase to, of the show, uh, yeah, I'm funny you should say that. Uh, I don't want to this to... Martha's Musing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you thought it was a quiz. Didn't I, you? Yeah, that's why it was this that sense of foreboding this is, was. This is some... the quiz that Martha. This is the uh, the musing that Martha's come up with this week. <laughs> uh, since the referendum, there have been sixty three local council by elections across the UK. The Lib Dems have gained twelve seats out of the sixty three contested. The best of any party. Uh, Lib Dem fight back. Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag. Question what do you mark. reckon, Martha? Is that is that a Lib Dem fight back? I mean, yeah, there's this massive space for them now in politics. I think there's, there's and uh, there were kind of recent polls which which sort of asked people where they stood in politics and where they thought the party stood, and they also they were in the middle and they thought Lib Dems were in the middle, but they just struggled to get their voices heard, don't they? What, so what they got to do? Because if there is this, if there is forty eight forty eight percent of the population who wanted to stay in the EU, and it's clear they're going after them by saying we want to be in the EU, all that kind of stuff, right? And they pitch themselves as, you know, being the heir to Blair. Again, who was very, very popular electorally. Let's not deny that. But it doesn't seem... We're not seeing them in the polls I on mean, 15, 18 minutes. It's, it's a long, uh, six, hard road yeah. back. You know, it's, it's like climbing how Everest. How, how long is it, though? How well, I it think it's at least a 10-year project for them to get a, a, a decent number of MPs, you know, more than 20 MPs, enough to make a difference in any kind of coalition or, or in the electoral arithmetic in the Commons. You need at least 25, 30 MPs, really. And we're looking, you know... They'll probably make some ground back in, in, in 2020, or if there's an early election, who knows. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a series of staging posts. It's a long way back. And as Ned says, you know, they're doing well in, in local elections. Um, and that's, to be honest, that's one of the, the main routes back for them. They've got to build, rebuild that grassroots army and also rebuild their resources because without all those councillors one thing that they did lose from the hemorrhaging of all the support under the coalition was they lost not just councillors but income because the income that the party needs the infrastructure relies on having local councillors who are paid and who get allowances and then can pay it into the party and a sense of a local network and they've got to build it from the grassroots up again and you know to Farron's credit he knows it's a long task but it is, you know, somewhere away. And, and also remember about the Farron's promise about holding a or pledge to have another referendum on, on the European Union. That's the kind of thing that Lib Dems can do in a different way than Labour can do. Owen Smith sort of reject the referendum result approach is very different for a, gov a party that wants to be in government or, or says it wants to be in government but the Lib Dems now is a small party it is more of a protest party again yeah. so an attempt to hoover up the kind of 48% uh, of people who are really passionate about it it might be a more effective strategy I think for the Lib Dems to go after it than, than for Labour to, they, to pursue They do that. need to agree on it first. Like well, yeah. Cable was saying that this was ridiculous and yeah. what was it, yeah. best of three. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with all the other parties splitting, you would have thought that mm. the, you know, the eight of them could stay together <laughs> yeah. on this one issue. And it underlines, let's be honest, their irrelevance. If, if you're the only party talking about having a second referendum, if, and is true, under Jeremy Corbyn, Labour's not going to back a second referendum, then it's completely pointless debate. If you haven't got an alliance with Labour on a big issue, you are irrelevant. And, you know, with given their numbers, you know, that I think the problem for Farron is, all right, it, he talks and talk about being pro-European, but that a second referendum is not the way to do it. He should be stressing much more about Parliament having a say over the final Brexit deal and working with his numbers in the Lords with Labour to make that sure that happens. You, you said that um, the coalition was a kind of elephant in the room, um, but Farron talked about Blair, right? He likes the early work, implying that the stuff about Iraq was all to do with trust in politics. But surely they've got to take a big responsibility for this, for the tuition fee stuff. Surely Nick Clegg, still, that still taints the party. No matter how many times he tries to apologise, 
Surely, until until uh, is there anything they can do to get the tuition fee monkey off their back? At uh, time, I honestly think that as Paul said, I think the one the only thing that's really going to help that go away is going to be just a, a space of time out of power, a space of time not in government. Well, they're going to have that on which, the- which well, they are going <laughs> to have. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of students who voted for Lib Dems back in 2010, that I mean, a lot of them are kind of gone if yeah. not forever, for a very, very long time. Because I think it took the Lib Dems a long time to understand how betrayed people felt. There was a lot of sense when the Lib Dems were in power that you know they dealt with that issue or that people would understand what happened. They didn't quite realise how upset a lot of their voters were about it. And yeah. I think also, I think it'll take the resignation or the stepping down of Nick Clegg for them to be, fi- the monkey to be fine after that. But when he's left the scene, then they can move on. Um, it wasn't just the Lib Dems this week, of course. The Labour leadership contest ground to a shuddering halt, with the ballot now closed in the battle between Jeremy Corbyn and Owen Smith. The result will be announced on Saturday, with Corbyn, let's be honest, expected to win again. But will Labour MPs fall in line behind their leader? Here's Corbyn offering an olive branch. I'm reaching out and offering them, and I, if you probably noticed, despite a lot of very personal criticisms that have been made of me, very unpleasant remarks that have been made about me by a very large number of Labour MPs. I've not replied to any of them. I've taken it all on board, understood what they're saying, and asked them to behave in a decent and responsible way and come together so that we do have an ability to take the fight to the Tories, wipe the slate clean and move forward. He's talking about wiping the slate clean there. Someone pointed out that's a little bit like... uh Michael in The Godfather saying tonight the Corleone family settles all their debts. Is that what's going to happen to these Labour MPs? They're just going to be, that's it, you've crossed the leader, you're never coming back. Um, or, or, or are we going to start seeing, seeing Labour MPs? Well, there is, there is a split in the people around Jeremy Corbyn. There are the hawks uh, who really, really want to capitalise on the new mandate and really you know, rub people's noses in it, uh, the fact that they've won and they've got a fresh mandate. And if they increase that percentage of vote, if they get more than 59%, then they feel as though they'll legitimately have a right to, to say, look, our way or the highway. However, there are other people, the doves around Jeremy Corbyn, who want to you know, embrace the PLP again, who want the best talent on the front bench. You know, e- even people close to Corbyn know that that front bench isn't good enough and they know it doesn't like a government in waiting and they want to get people back. And it's interesting that you know, you've got a lot of people talking about coming back and saying, look, if the slate is genuinely clean, then we're going to go with it. The question is, will it be? But the, the thing I'm interested about is if you're one of the loyalists to Corbyn and you've stepped up during, you know, the the mass resignations and and you found yourself in a shadow position, then all of a sudden, no, actually, we're, we're moving you to one side now because one of the big boys when he comes back. You're going to be annoyed, right? You're holding a minute, Jez. I stuck by you when these... Yeah, there's these a bit of that, but let's down, be honest, right? in the grand scheme of things, I think that they can get over that. I mean, like, there are people like Kelvin Hopkins who clearly, you know, all right, I think he'd be perfectly happy to step aside and say, look, you know, I had my few months in the sun. Even Paul Flynn, you know, I mean, he's enjoying being shadow leader of the house, but and he's one of the few people who's actually appointed a special advisor, by the way. A lot of these people haven't appointed a special advisor. Um, but he, uh, you can imagine him saying all right I'll, I'll go back I'll, I'll do shadow Welsh and someone can do shadow house you know the, the, I think it won't be that big of a problem we talk the about what? sorry the go wiping on. a slate clear you know, can we talk about the voters as well I know that they don't usually come into the debate with Labour Party very much at the moment but even if Jeremy Corbyn and the shadow cabinet or the ex-shadow cabinet kind of all start afresh are voters going to forget what's happened I mean how do these people when there's an election back up Corbyn even they say oh now we decided we like him again we're working with him it's the new Labour Party blah 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 but they can just point out well a year ago you were slagging him off yeah I think so it'd be a problem 
Um, yeah, and what about what about this uh, this kind of this power grab that's going on anyway? While Jeremy Corbyn holds out an o- olive gr- branch, there's also sort of all kinds of ideas uh, going on, like allowing members to have more influence in policy making decisions. The idea that perhaps MPs will be deselected with the new boundary changes. Um, this this kind of inc- this sort of this creeping out within sort of local areas, uh, sort of representatives of um, momentum, kind of having more influence. I mean, what what does that what does that say? Does that does that say there's there's really a sort of a peace um, peace in the Labour Party? Well, I think that the the you're right. The the fundamental change that Ed Miliband introduced, which was giving di- members direct say over what happens in, in the party leadership. Corbyn clearly wants to expen- extend that to po- policy. He wants to extend it to possibly the shadow cabinet, although this week's uh, NEC meeting, I was told, right at the beginning of that me- um, discussion about the shadow cabinet, lots of people around the table said, look, this is bananas because we can't afford a quarter of a million quid on an on election, internal election. We're well, fi- they just made four million from charging people. No, but that that's the point. Having made so much money from lots of new members, um, they are now, the Labour Party, Ian McNichol told the NEC, that is in the rudest financial health it's been in decades. It's cleared all its election debts. It's cleared all its mortgages. It's in the healthiest financial position it's been in ages. And the last thing you want to do is just blow a quarter of a million on an internal election that lets members select who's in the shadow cabinet. It just seems a bit navel-gazing. So, uh, from and there's it, one it, thing that Jeremy Corbyn hates, <laughs> navel-gazing. So, so that's not going to happen. But Martha's right. You know, the, there's this bigger, more fundamental shift, which is where, where does power lie in the Labour Party now? And it, it increasingly lies with members. And you'll see a lot more discussion over the next year through the NEC about how far that power balance shifts. One of the big discussions is going to be how to react to the referendum. And we've seen this week a number of people, a number of prominent backbenchers, respected backbenchers, uh, Johnny Reynolds, Stephen Kinnock, Rachel Reeves, Emma Reynolds, saying that they think freedom of movement is dead and Labour has to accept that. Labour has to say, right, no matter what happens to the EU renegotiations, we cannot accept freedom of movement anymore. The voters have spoken. We need to listen to them. There's some people, David Lammy, for example, who thinks we should ignore the whole referendum result. Chukramuna, who I'll be speaking to today, he was very much on the line of, look, if the deal is freedom of movement as it is and single membership, then of course, single market membership, then of course we have to get rid of freedom of movement. But there is, does seem to be sort of, I don't know if this is quite a coherent policy yet, but we're seeing a real shift, right, aren't we? Well, I think it's a bit like what we just talked about. A lot of Labour MPs are having to grasp the reality of politics. And just as the reality of politics in their party is that Jeremy Corbyn is leader and they're going to have to come up with a form of words which recognises that, like, you know, we've moved on. Uh, and despite, and they're all going to be asked the same question, you know, do you have confidence in Jeremy Corbyn? They're all going to come up with a form of words, I'm told, which says, well, that's all now settled. Jeremy is the leader and I want him to be the prime minister. Just as on that, Labour MPs have to grasp reality, they have to grasp reality on Brexit as well. And it means not talking about even abstract terms like freedom of a movement or talking about single markets. It means saying things like the voters have spoken and we think they want some curbs on migration from Europe. And even saying that for a lot of them is still a bit difficult. But as you say, more and more of them are coming around to it. But there's also a reality of politics in the EU, which is that um, European leaders are playing ever more hardball with Theresa May on the negotiations, saying, well, you know, um, if we don't get free movement, we're going to seriously uh, curb your ability to, do, to trade um, under our rules. And so, you know, there's, there's also that to be taken into consideration. And uh, we may end up with a deal that Labour will want to kind of oppose. Yeah, that's true. Although, I mean, the government 
ministers that I've been talking to just in the last few days say, look, there's a real opportunity here, which is that the rest of Europe, as the penny has dropped because of Brexit, because of the shock of Brexit, that actually in Germany particularly, there is an agreement that maybe we should look at the freedom of movement rules because actually we're suffering as much as anyone else. And maybe we should start thinking about, Brussels isn't happy about it, but other EU capitals are thinking about it, even possibly in Paris. Should we amend freedom of movement rules to make it slightly more restrictive on migrants and have some sort of work tests and some sort of other skills tests? And in other words, freedom of movement can't exist as it has in the past. And that's where the government think they've got room for manoeuvre. And they think actually in a way they could be leading Europe in the right direction. But this is, I mean, it strikes me that this is what Cameron should be saying during the renegotiation. She's been saying, look, I've got this referendum. You've got them coming down. She's been saying to to Merkel and the London Renzi. You know, I mean, Renzi in Italy has got a referendum coming up, not quite in the EU, but something similar coming up later this year. And he's basically said, if he loses that, he'll have to go. And he's very much in the kind of Blairite mode of, of political thinking. And I just wonder now if Labour MPs, if they still are so scared of talking about immigration and freedom of movement for fear of pandering to UKIP, and whether they still they still just don't want to touch it. I don't know. Referendum. Some of them don't, uh, but some of them have got huge numbers of Leave voters in their constituencies, so they have to talk about yep. it. And, you know, Labour, you know, it's not beyond the wit of man to come up with a sophisticated answer which says, look, I hear what you're saying. You want to stop the, the level of migration we've got at the moment from Europe, but we think here's a different plan, here's a different way of doing it. And one of the key things that Johnny Reynolds, Jonathan Reynolds said in the, in the interview to me was that basically you can waive as many IFS reports or think tank reports, how good immigration is for the country, people's faces, all you want. But if you get 300,000 people coming into your country every year, on top of natural population increase, that is a lot of people coming in. And and freedom of movement doesn't have to mean restrictions on on immigration. You can have the same level of, of if you wanted to set it that high, it just means that you pick and choose a bit more. And I think that's that's such a loss. People think end of freedom of movement means no immigration, but of course it's not a binary choice. But he two. had a very good line to you, Johnny Reynolds, which he talked about we've got to recognise the emotional argument exactly. that people are making on this. And you can't... It, we should all know now, post-Brexit, certainly we might find out in Trump <laughs> come November, and certainly when it comes to Jeremy Corbyn, emotion and, you know, a sense of identity often trump reason when it comes to politics these days and it's it's making sure that you buy yourself space to make the reasoned argument by em- engaging the emotional argument and that's mm. what's really important let's well, do so uh, sorry well, so you can't pretend that you're sort of both making a sort of humanitarian pro-immigration argument by 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 restricting freedom of movement because you might be able to bring more people in than you did before and also go for freedom of movement because that's what people want i think that's something that Labour MPs like Jonathan Reynolds have got to sort of sort out. I think you can say mind. that, can't you? Because you can say, we want free, we want to control who comes into the country and we want to control where they come from, so therefore we don't want freedom of movement if you come from Europe. We want to open it up to the rest of the world. So you can, you can, but you can, you can paint it in a way that doesn't make you sound like a little Englander. But there's a set, well, there's a sort of sense of trying to have it both ways. You're sort of saying, well, you're sort of trying to sort of um, pander to people who want more immigration, people who kind of want it want, because it benefits the economy and also say that you're going to restrict it to sort of pander to people who want less. Mm. Maybe I'm going to hang around you get too long. Um, <laughs> this moves on to this week's quiz. Uh, yay. yay. Well, it's, I hope it's a good sort of, you know, it's binary not. choice this week. Don't worry. I've been thinking about it, right? Good. I was going to do a quiz on um, different 
areas of the country which have hosted um, party conferences over the year. Oh God, that would have been gripping. And yeah, yeah, that was my my uh, my partner's reaction. Was I like, thought you were going to do how uh, how many God. things have lasted longer than the NEC? Eight hours, twenty four minutes. But no, I wasn't no? going to do that, Paul. I was going to I'm going to do this one. It's called Hello Goodbye. Right, right, and it's a quiz about. Um, Net migration per head of population, <laughs> which countries are higher or more? Okay, and it's Beatles-inspired <laughs> because the conference is in is Liverpool. In Liverpool. Oh, I right. see. Right. So, okay. what are our two options? I'm getting to that. Go Paul. on. Let me explain Go the rules on. first. So, the UK's net migration is 2.4, 2.54 per a thousand people. Right. What does that mean? It means for every thousand people, 2.54 is the net migration figure right. <laughs> for each year. Yeah, for 2015. Sure. Okay. Right. <laughs> so. If these countries have got more higher net migration per thousand, yeah, right, yeah, let it be. Sure, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they've got a lower number, get back. <laughs> That's not bad. All right. Yeah, I wish I wish everyone could see. He's listening. How pleased Owen looked through his face <laughs> yeah. with okay, that. Okay, so remember, right, right. UK two point five four. Okay, has Australia got a higher or lower net migration? Let, let it be per higher per, per thousand. thousand. Yeah. I think it's got higher. So that's higher, so that would be let it be. You've got to say it's Let it, it be, sorry, yeah. yeah. Come on, Martha. Yes, let it be. Go. 5.65, <laughs> okay. Israel. Let it be. I'd say let it be because they have a lot of incomers from the US, don't they? Martha. Yeah, I'll go with that. No, get back. Really? <laughs> 2.24. Oh, it's only slightly lower. Hey, I don't make the rules. I literally <laughs> uh, Italy. Um, that's get, ooh, get back get, refugees, get, but they haven't got much get migration. Back. Get back. No, let it be. Uh, 4.10. Wow. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that's really hard. Kazakhstan. Oh, uh, get back. Playing with us now, Mr. Bond. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, this is going to be counting. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, let it be. Because it's l- unlikely. I'll say get back just to be different from Paul. I said get back. Yeah, yeah it is get back. Oh. 0.41. Turkey. Um, oh, that's high, isn't it? Yeah. I guess that's less it be. You think it's got to be thinking. high because of Syria. Let it be. Let it yeah, be. let it be. No, get oh. back <laughs> to minus 2.16. Oh, wow. Get yeah. back to where you belong. Minus 2.16. And so you've got a big flow. Yeah, yeah. France. Oh. Um, get, get back. back. Yeah, 1.09. And finally, Spain. I'd say that's probably the same. I think that's about the same as France. I want it to be let it be, and it's all Brits. It's let it be. It's eight point three one. Wow, eight point three. That's higher than Italy. Yeah, yeah, it's higher than Italy. Norway seven point two five. So, uh, yeah, Spain's quite high in it. Poland minus zero point four six. Everyone's leaving. So yeah, so that was this week's quiz. All right. Very good. Thank you. All right. It was revealed today that mental health funding will be cut in many areas of Britain in the next year and the postcode lottery will worsen. At least 73 local areas will see their GP mental health budgets slashed in 2016-17, according to government data obtained by Labour MP Luciana Berger. Martha, you were looking into this and it sounds like the government aren't quite living up to their promises over mental health. Is that true? Yeah, this is the third year in a row that the government have uh, been following up or attempting to follow up a commitment to increase uh, mental health spending in line with budget increases. And this is the third time that they will not meet that commitment. 
And we're joined now by Paula Bell, who is executive editor of the Huffington Post. Hello, Paula. Hi. Paula has done loads of great stuff, um, flagging up mental health, how it affects people, the kind of people it affects, the kind of funding um, that's attributed to it. And I just wanted to get your reaction, really, to the fact that the government, again, doesn't seem to be living up to its promises. To me, it's not really surprising. A lot of my interaction and experience with the mental health services have been um, from a personal level, so not from myself directly, but from people that I know, and also at a grassroots level where people are affected by the cuts and by the fact that there's not enough resource. And the overwhelming response from people is that there isn't enough funding, there aren't enough services, people are falling through the cracks. I don't know a single person that's gone, oh yeah, mental health, you know, the NHS is really getting that right. And that may be a slight unfair judgment because I, I think the NHS does the best job that it can, but it can only go so far if if there's no funding behind it. Well, what does that what does that mean when GPs mental health funding is is cut? Does that mean that uh, that they can't deal with things in the GP? Does that mean that they have trouble with calling on other resources like psychiatrists? So um, one of the things when it comes to dealing with mental health. So let's say you are a person who has a mental health problem. One of the problems is that if there aren't enough resources, so for example, enough psychiatrists to refer to or um, psychotherapists or CBT or whatever you you have in the array of therapies for mental Mm -hmm. health, um, what happens is that A, you have people on really long waiting lists and anything can happen in that period of time while they're waiting. B, if you've got people that are mid to high risk and you then, let's say they have something like depression and you put them on antidepressants, it takes about four to six weeks for those antidepressants to actually take hold. So what Mm. happens in that six weeks? Are they being checked on? No, because there aren't enough people to check on them. Um, So the responsibility falls onto people's families. What do you do, for example, if you don't have a family who's invested in you or who is around or lives in the same city as Mm. you? And lastly, especially when it comes to mental health, um, you know, the the type of psychiatrist, for example, that you're paired up with, it's not as simple as going, I've got cancer or I've got a broken leg and someone then administers care that fixes that physical ailment. Mm. When it comes to mental health, it very much is about whether or not that person connects with their doctor or their therapist. And very often they may not. And so what happens if they don't and then they don't go back for their appointments or it just isn't the right fit? There just isn't enough there to catch that person and put them back into the system and then maybe refer another doctor to them. And what about um, interactions with the police? Because I, I, I know perhaps you could tell me more that um, an increasing number of people are having their first contact with mental health services after they've already been sectioned through the police. So with the police, and I interviewed Alistair Campbell about this uh, a couple of months ago um, for a book that I'm writing, He said that when he had his breakdown, so he was going through psychosis, I think, at the time, um, he was lucky enough, so he got picked up by the police, and he was lucky enough that the police who picked him up were very uh, kind to him, they were very empathetic, and he said, had they not been, um, it could have been a very different outcome, because he did end up getting sectioned, but, you know, it could have turned violent, and it could have been far worse, and he could have been arrested. Mm. Now... um, David Cameron, when he was in power, said that, you know, he promised, uh, there's a great promise that if you um, have psychosis, you'll be seen within two weeks. Again, anything can happen if you have psychosis in two weeks. So within that two-week period, if things are getting bad for you and you have a psychotic episode on the street and you get picked up by the police, 
what you're then going into is a system which is quite punitive. You know, it doesn't understand the wider context of how that person got to that point where they're having a breakdown. Um, and then you're just starting a very bad cycle and a very bad um, connection between that person and how they engage with services. So if the criticism is not enough people are engaging with services, then I think we need to look at what is actually there in terms of a service, and it shouldn't be the police, it should absolutely be medical care. Um, and how are we making that more approachable for people and, and helping them to engage in a better way? So given that there are kind of limited funds uh, out there for the NHS, especially at the moment, and mental health is one of sort of a lesser understood um, uh, branch of illnesses, what is, if we... What is the best way to spend our money on it? Is it sort of to do more research or to try and work out what the most effective types of treatment are? Is it to pour money into CBT, which has quite a lot of evidence? Is it to take resources from hospitals which don't deal with people so well and put them into primary care to try and prevent crisis situations? What are our, what are our priorities here? So I think when it comes to mental health, there isn't any one particular priority because mental health is a, a much bigger what, what, when we talk about mental health the insinuation there is that we're talking about mental illness and actually there's a hell of a lot of work that can be done before it actually develops into a mental illness so for me it's a about having a national um, push for mental well-being so that is getting into schools teaching that from a very young age teaching kids that um, they can talk to people about what's going on with them um, arming parents and teachers with the knowledge that they need to be able to help and recognize what's going on it's also creating society that actually values um, mental good mental health so at the moment we don't have a society that values good mental health everything whether it is transportation or whether it is the NHS is to get you better and to get you to a place where you you can go to work and you can be economically viable as a person. For some people, that's not necessarily possible. And so what we need to do is address that as well. So, you know, if we were talking about obesity, um, of course, we would have a national push and, you know, an education program around that. So why isn't that being done around mental health? And thirdly, when it comes to mental illness, is that when someone is actually presenting with a mental illness, I think what you definitely need is the referral system seems needs to be a lot sharper because at the moment, people are falling through the cracks because everyone's going, oh, this isn't my job. It's not acute enough yet. You know, that person hasn't actually got a knife to their throat. So we're not sure that their their sort of suicide attempt is, is particularly that acute. And there is a lot that can be caught before it reaches to that stage. Excellent. That's great. Thanks, Paula. Obviously, we don't condone people plugging their books on this podcast, especially books that are coming out in a couple of weeks called The Brexit Club. So thanks. So thank you for listening uh, to this week's podcast. Just a reminder, we are on the road. Can't wait. As soon as possible. We are going to be in Liverpool on Monday, this Monday, at the Crown Hotel, 43 Lime Street. All right, write that down. Easy to remember. 43 Lime Street. Uh, Crown Hotel, from 6 o'clock, live podcast event. We have got Alison McGovern and Wes Street in Labour MPs joining us. We shall be grilling them, putting them questions from you guys if you send them in to us we're going to be facebook living it come down have some beer it's going to be brilliant but i'm going to leave you now with uh, a clip from lib dems glee club which is an annual singing uh, thing they have at their conference where they use hilarious lyrics um, about various politicians here they are with their opinions on tony blair see you soon <laughs> Thank you.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.